Amen. You know, it occurs to me that uh, throughout the last several weeks, we're down a little bit this morning, we, ha- we have a lot of folks that are popping into our services from other churches. You're welcome to come. We're glad that you're here. But it occurred to me that we may not have contact information for you. And if there ever was a time where we found out that somebody here was sick and we needed to call you and let you know that you were exposed, we don't have that information to do that. So please feel free this week sometime, just call the office. And if you don't get a hold of anybody, leave a message saying, this is, we're at church on Sunday. Here's our phone number. If there's ever a problem, just give us a call. So uh, I think that would just help us if we, if we could do that for you. We'd like to be a help to you if we know of an outbreak or any such thing. All right, John chapter 16. John chapter 16. Let's pray, and I'm going to go ahead and pray because I'm going to make some comments as we read the scriptures this morning. Uh, But let's have a word of prayer. If you found your place, let's all bow together. Father, we love you, and we thank you again for your word. We pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit might use it to speak to our hearts now, that he might show us and guide us into all truth. And Lord, teach us some things today, we pray, and challenge our hearts. Lord, may it not just be head knowledge, but may it change the very heart of the man. So help us, Lord, we pray. Speak to us. Lord, I need your help, and I ask for your filling. And Father, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. John, chapter 16. Look what the Bible says with me in verse 1. The Bible says, These things have I spoken unto you, that ye should not be offended. You might think that the Lord Jesus Christ had given them some warnings. In other words, when this happens, don't be surprised. When this comes to pass, don't be offended. The word offended there means to lead into sin, to cause to stumble or to cause to fall away. I believe that's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ was saying to him. He says, "I, I have told you these things so that you don't fall away. You'll remember there was another part of the Bible when the Bible says Jesus, after he had finished saying these hard sayings that many turned back and followed him no more. They couldn't handle the straight preaching of the Son of God. And so we would think when we read John chapter 16 and verse 1 that the Lord Jesus Christ has just gone on a tirade. He's just told them, you're going to die and you're going to be persecuted and and this is all going to fall out among you. So I'm warning you so you're not offended, but that's not what Jesus did at all. As a matter of fact, in chapter 14 and 15, we read about him preparing a heavenly home for us. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If we're not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. He tells us that he will come again and receive us unto himself. He tells us that you know where I'm going and you know the way. And Thomas says, we don't know the way. He says, but I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. You will read in John chapter 14 that we are to love our brothers and to forgive one another. You'll read in John chapter 15 that Jesus is the true vine and that if we are firmly engrafted to the vine, we can bear fruit and then we can bear much fruit and we can bear fruit that remains. The Lord Jesus Christ talks about the young church there, even though they have not yet gone to Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit has not empowered them for service, I believe we already have a church that has formed a called out assembly of believers. And he says to them, uh, you're to love one another and encourage one another and help one another. But he also says in John chapter 14, verse 26, that the Holy Spirit is coming, the comforter. 
In John chapter 15 and verse 26, he reminds them again when he, the comforter, is come. And John chapter 16 will read a third time. He tells them that the Holy Spirit is coming, the, the spirit of, uh, of the, the comforting spirit of God. So three times he tells them about the Holy Spirit. And so what he has done is he has laid a foundation in those two chapters to say, hey, pretty soon you're going to face persecution. And you're going to have some struggles. But I have told you all these things so you will not be offended. You will not fall away. And what is it he told you? He says you need to love one another. You need to rely upon the Holy Spirit. You need to walk with God. Or else you're going to fall away. John chapter 16, we read on in verse 2. Notice how it starts right away with, with what is about to take place. He says, they shall put you out of the synagogues. Well, that's not surprising. If you were a Jewish person today and you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and, and if you acted like the Apostle Paul did in the book of Acts, and every time you went into a town, you went to the synagogue, and they recognized you as a Pharisee, and you took the Scriptures and you proclaimed Jesus Christ, well, certainly, eventually, they're going to put you out of the synagogue. That is not doctrine that aligned with their beliefs that the Messiah was yet coming and that he had not yet come in the form of Jesus Christ. And so that is not a surprise. But the Bible also says in verse 2, Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. Now it's getting serious. It's one thing to be shunned by a religious group. It's a whole other thing to be killed for your faith in Jesus Christ. So he's saying you need to learn how to rely upon the Holy Spirit. You need to how to know how to, 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 to fountain or the, to funnel the strength that is in that fountain that bubbles up within you. You need to understand that you can draw comfort from the Holy Spirit of God, and we'll look at those other verses later. In verse three, he says, "And these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me." But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go my way to him that sent me. Now look what he says. And none of you asketh me, whither goest thou? Because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. In the sad condition of these believers, the Lord Jesus Christ has told them, I'm leaving. I'm going to prepare a place for you. He says, that didn't make you sorrowful. He says, but I tell you that you're going to be persecuted and you're going to perhaps die for your faith. And he says, now you're sorrowful. I kind of sense the hurt in the Lord Jesus Christ there. As he is thinking out loud and saying to the disciples, you're more worried about yourself than you are that I'm leaving. And boy, it's probably a pretty sad commentary on our churches today as well. We're more concerned about ourselves and what we are doing with our lives and the fact that the Lord is far from us. Verse 8, or verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Nevertheless, even though you're not all that concerned about me leaving. Even though you're more scared about 
the persecution that you are facing. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Verse 8. And here's where we take our title this morning. And when he is come, when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. The Bible says when he is come, the Holy Spirit will do a work. The Bible says he will reprove the world of sin. And he'll reprove the world of righteousness and of judgment. Number one, of sin because they believe not in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. The world word reprove there means to bring to the light. We have a, an English word that we like to use that, that describes the action of the Holy Spirit reproving. We call it conviction. When the Holy Spirit convicts our heart, that is the act of God's Spirit reproving us. The Bible says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for reproof. The Word of God brings our sin to light and it causes conviction in our heart. That's because God has made us with morality and the Holy Spirit of God points us towards the right side of our morality, hopefully, and we don't fall to the negative or the wicked side of morality. In other words, we know right from wrong because the Holy Spirit has put that in our hearts. So he says, when the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will come, when he has come to reprove the world of sin, in other words, he is going to bring to light our sin, and then our morality, the conscience that we have, says that is wrong. And God corrects us for our sins. The Bible says we are to be the Holy Spirit, sorry, the Word of God is... Uh, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, and then for correction and instruction in righteousness. It's a process of cleansing our lives and making us right. And so the Bible says that when he has come, the comforter has come, he will reprove the world of sin. Let me say this. A lot of times we are looking for something we ought not be looking for. Now, I, I think I'm, I would agree with you and, and you would agree with me when I say that we all long for revival. Would you, would you agree with that? We, we long for the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, this morning when I prayed, perhaps you prayed in the same way. God, we, we desperately want your Holy Spirit to meet with us. We are asking for him to do a work in our lives. We're asking him to, to move among our church this morning. We're asking him to fill the pastor so we can preach and to use the singers to minister to our hearts. And God, would you fill me with the Holy Spirit that I might learn from the word of God, that I might understand what the words of this blessed book are saying. And we long for the Holy Spirit. But let me say this, when he comes, he works. When he comes, he works. Now, here's what I, I think we mean when we pray. When we pray, Lord, send your Holy Spirit. Now, understand, let me clarify something. When you got saved, you were indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. Amen? Sealed unto the day of redemption. 
You've got all the Holy Spirit you'll ever have. But when we pray and ask for God's Holy Spirit, what we are asking for is the filling of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, be not drunk with wine wherein is accessible, be filled with the Spirit of God. And we understand that being indwelt means that we have all the Spirit of God we will ever have, but to be filled means that God has all of us. That he comes and takes control. And we are surrendering to him in, in, in complete surrender that he might lead us and guide us and direct us and teach us. And so when we pray and we ask for God's spirit to fill us, normally, and, and I'm getting inside your heads a little bit because I know because I do the same thing. What I mean when I pray is God sends your comforter. Amen? I, I want the comforting spirit of God. There are times where I've been in grief. There's been times where there's been great sorrow, and I'm thankful for his comforting Holy Spirit. When I pray for the Spirit of God to fill me, often what I mean by that is, God, give me peace about a decision I'm trying to make. You ever done that? Ask God to help you with a decision? God, give me direction. God, give me peace. God, show me the way. Wonderful. That's what, God, that's what we ought to do. Pray without ceasing. When I pray and ask God on a Sunday morning, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit, I'm often saying to God, God, I need your power for preaching. I need power. You might say, I need power to be a witnesses and a testimony to those at work. I need, I need soul winning power. I, I need God's presence in my life, that filling Holy Spirit, that I might be a testimony to somebody else. You might pray uh, this morning, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit, that I might understand the Bible. One of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is that he might illuminate the word of God or show it to us. But here's what the Bible says. When he is come, he will reprove the world of sin. How many of you prayed for that this morning? Here's the thing. When he is come, you don't get to decide what he does. But I know he's going to reprove the world. Listen, we're asking him to come in peace, and he often comes with a sword. Comes with a scalpel to cut out the dead parts of our lives. That sin that is that dragging us down, that weight which besets us, those things that are keeping us from worshiping God properly. That's how he comes. A lot of times the Holy Spirit of God will strike your heart and begin to speak to you and begin to reveal your sin to you. And, and you can think in your heart, God, that's not what I meant when I asked you to come join alongside me this morning. That's not what I prayed for. I wanted to go to church and have a great time. I wanted to go to church and I wanted to, I wanted to worship together and I wanted to run up and down the aisles and I wanted to get excited about the things of God. But God, here I am in my pew and my heart is broken over my sin and, and I just feel like I'm getting beat up today. It's not what we asked for. But when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin. I want to just give you a couple things very quickly this morning. First of all, I want to give you some fiction. You say, why would you give us fiction? Because I think there's some popular beliefs about the Holy Spirit and revival that maybe just aren't true. I want to say, first of all, we cannot manufacture when the Spirit will work. Let me say that again. We cannot manufacture 
when the Spirit will work. You say, what do you mean by that? A lot of times, we will schedule revival meetings. Every spring, we have a spring revival, and of course, this year we couldn't, but we, the last several years, we had the Faithman Quartet come, and Brother Calvin Allen preached. The first year we did it, we had the Vasic family, but the last four or five years, we've had the Faithman. And I have them back on purpose because I know that Brother Allen spends a lot of time in prayer. We text every Saturday night, we text each other, and we're praying for each other, and we talk every week. And, and I know that in the past that God has used his messages to to break my heart and to help me and encourage me. I was present one night when many people got saved. But I'm going to be honest with you, that night, what you may not have seen that night was that so many folks got saved that night. I can't remember how many because it just spilled over into the following days. How many actually got saved that night? But you know that what happened in the 75% of the people that were stirred up that night, you know what really happened? About 25% got saved. You know what happened to the other 75%? They were getting right with God and with each other. Well, that's not revival. Revival means people get saved. No, no, no. Here's a very simple definition of revival. When God comes, we are changed. That's it. Sometimes we define revival by, well, I, I, that was close to revival, preacher, but, you know, we only had seven saved. You've got to have eight saved for it to be an official revival. No, no, no. When God comes, he works as he will, as he desires, as, as he has determined. It is up to God how, how he will work in a life. And sometimes we, we, we come to a church service and we're the only one and we're sitting there and we're, we, I've seen it from the pulpit. We're leading a song and something in that song has touched the heart of somebody and they're sitting there and you can just see the tears coming down their face and everybody else is just singing and smiling and just, you know, and, and, you, and the truth is you can see it in their eyes. They haven't even thought about those words in 40 years. They've sang it so many times. But that new saying of God's got tears coming down their face and you're thinking, Boy, God's doing something right there. That one, you know what that's called? That's a revival. They say, well, that's not, that's, that's not, no, 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 wait. The Holy Spirit came and he began to work in that heart. And he's reproving that person of sin. I'm just trying to say, listen, sometimes there's a revival in one person's heart. Sometimes it's a whole church. Sometimes it's a whole nation. But here's what we do know. When he comes... He's going to work. How many of you think that the Holy Spirit comes without a plan? He comes just in a frivolous way. I'm just going to stop by Bethel Church and see what, what's going on down there. No. When he comes, he comes with a purpose. And we may have the purpose. God, I want you to fill me. I want you to do this. You know, sometimes we say things like, well, if we, if we just get this all right. If, you know, I, I was reading this passage, preacher, and it says if we, if we will just love the brethren. Well, we're not going to have revival until we love the brethren. If we forgive one another. Well, we're not going to have revival until we forgive one another. Well, the Bible says if we have forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. If we just start having more church services, then we'll have revival. Wait, friend. What if the Holy Spirit comes along and he provokes your heart to go forgive somebody or he provokes your heart to get right with God or he provokes your heart to go to church more often and maybe that is the revival. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we use the Bible like a hammer, don't we? 
You know what? If you just come to church, God will get you. Maybe God's got to get you first. And then you'll come to church more. See, it's about the heart. When he has come, he will reprove. We can't manufacture it. I was saying we hold those revival services, and I know Rob and Judy, will, Judy comes and puts new flowers up for the revival, and the guys will make, I think maybe it's Austin or Calvin, they make a nice screen thing that says revival, and it's got fire going through it, you know, and we change the sign out of the road, and it says we have revival services with Faithman Quartet and Calvin Allen. We put out flyers in our community, and all is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One comes down. Doesn't mean a thing. You can't manufacture it. Here's the thing. I, I wish it were so easy that I could, I could come down here to Brother Art and I could say, Brother Art, I am so sorry. I had this wicked thought about you. I just thought you were, oh, please forgive me. And I shake his hand and the fire of God falls. But you know what happens when, that, when we believe that? We make it all about us. But when we believe the Holy Spirit of God can do whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it, we make it about him. We can't manufacture it. We can't manufacture when he works. And listen to this. You can't manufacture how he works. You can't mandate it. I, I was saying before that sometimes we're praying. We're saying, God, I, I, I want to have joy and peace and, and, and comfort today. And God says, no, no, no. I'm coming with a reproof. I'm coming with a sword. I'm coming to prick your heart about your sin. That's not what we wanted, but listen, we don't get to decide. God's ways are not our ways. He, he is the uh, author and the finisher of our faith. That means he is dictating our life step by step, and he is working in our lives how he sees fit. Listen to this. Uh, in Romans 8, 28, I read it this morning, and it hit me this way. It says, we know that all things work together for good. Do you, do you know what it doesn't say? And we know how all things work together for good. We have no clue. We don't know. You get to the end of your life, and I, if God could put a map on a screen in heaven and show you how you got there, it would be a pretty winding road that you never expected. You remember the Israelites when they came out of, I, I love this passage of scripture, when they come out of Egyptian bondage, the Bible says they go into the wilderness and now they thought they were something. The Bible says they went up harnessed. You know what that means? It means they were armed for battle. So they were, they were about to go in the wilderness, and there was Amalekites out there in the wilderness. So the Bible says all those Israelites, they got a, they've been in hostages for 400 years. How are they going to build an army? They couldn't train with weapons, but they thought they were something big because God just did something. And so the Bible says, but the Lord took them another way <laughs> because he knew that they couldn't do it. He knew that they'd be slaughtered. I'm just saying that God's ways are not our ways. And we can't tell the Holy Spirit when to work, and we can't tell him how to work. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, But all these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. It is talking about the spiritual gifts there. There's evangelists, there's teachers, there's preachers, there's pastors. And the Bible says that God gives out those gifts as he will. It's not our decision. We have to obey the Holy Spirit and surrender to him. So some fiction. Sometimes we believe that God is going to answer our prayer just as we ask. Sometimes we believe that the Holy Spirit will do just what we tell him to do. No, no, no. He is a sovereign God. He doesn't work for us. He works on our behalf. 
because he loves us and he knows what's best for us. So you say, well, what do we do then? How, how do we move towards revival? How do we ask the Holy Spirit to, to do a great work? And listen to this. God is not willing that any should perish. God wants to save people. God wants to do a work. Hear me out. And listen, I've given you some fiction, but let me give you some facts. This is important. You know, often when we seek revival, we are looking for the outpouring of the Spirit that creates in us an overwhelming joy and peace. And by the way, he does. But often he comes with that sword. We have an idea that in order to have revival, it means that people have to be falling out all over the place. People have to be shouting. People have to be raising their hands. And listen, I'm not against those things, but listen, that is a reaction to revival. That is our worship, our thanksgiving, going back to God for our revival. Whatever he's working in our hearts, we praise the Lord. Thank God. Don't, don't be fooled because somebody raises their hand that, that, that revival is taking place. Maybe revival is already taking place and they're just giving thanks. The Bible is, is full over a hundred times. It says to raise our hands, uh, to lift holy hands unto the Lord. The Bible says, oh, clap your hands, all you people, and shout with a voice of triumph for the Lord our God reigneth forever and ever. I, I mean, don't, don't, be, don't look at the, the, the behavior of a church and say, well, they're having revival. That's not how it's indicated. Some people react very differently. The scalpel of the Lord comes into their hearts and their lives and very quietly and meekly and humbly they weep in their seat. Others show no emotion at all. Others in a very practical way take it to prayer and understand the truth of God's word. And so we're all wired and built a little differently. So don't look at the results of what is going on in the church. But if we sincerely desire to be filled with the Spirit of God and to know his daily working in our lives, because by the way, like I said, when he comes, he will work. He will. He is coming. We must, listen to this, we have to seek him. Not the gifts, but the giver of the gifts. We need to seek not the benefits of knowing the Lord, we just need to seek the Lord. We will enjoy the benefits, but we have to seek him. You know how many times the Bible says to seek him? And if you want to really know true revival, just seek the Lord. But here's the thing. When he comes, you have to be completely surrendered to it. Completely 100%. Because the truth is, you're going to ask for one thing, and he's going to reprove you of your sin. It's not what we're looking for, it's not what we desire, but it's necessary. It's the first step. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Turn, if you will, a few chapters of the Bible very quickly this morning, if you would, and we're going to look at some of these things about seeking the Lord. Turn to Isaiah chapter 55, first of all. Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1. 
Ho. That means behold, or some preacher might say, hey, hey, now look up here. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not. Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear, and come unto me. Hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Notice what is going on here. The Lord is saying, come everyone that thirsteth, and you can't afford, you can't afford bread, don't worry about it. Come, and you can buy it without price. He is the bread of life, and he is the everlasting water. If you drink, you'll never thirst again. Come and buy water from me, and come and buy bread from me. That's what the Lord is saying. Everyone that is thirsty, come. And notice what he says in verse 4. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader, a commander to the people. He's talking about Jesus Christ. Verse 5. Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, and nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God and for the Holy One of Israel, for he hath glorified thee. He's talking about Lord Jesus Christ being exalted in Israel and that the nations will run to him. He's talking about revival taking place. Now look at verse 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while ye labor. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Some might read that passage and say, no, oh, look at that, pastor. If we will forsake our wicked ways and if we will turn from our evil thoughts and turn back to the Lord, we will have revival. No, 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 you missed it. Look at verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. And do you know what happens when you find the Lord? When he comes, he'll reprove the world of sin. Verse 6, we seek the Lord. Verse 7, we get right with God. But we have to find the Lord first. Here's the thing. Without the Lord Jesus Christ, without his Holy Spirit working in your life... We'd be just like the world. We'd be so messed up in sin, without a conscience, without hope. But you see, when you seek the Lord, it begins to prick your heart and reprove you. Listen, it may not be the revival we want, but it's the revival we need when the Holy Spirit of God sweeps into our lives. So how do we seek him? How do we seek him? I'm going to give you three things how we need to seek the Lord. And I want to say this in all sincerity. You say, well, pastor, do you have the answer or how we can know we can have revival? To the best of my knowledge and my limited wisdom, I believe it has to start with seeking God. Seeking him. You say, well, what about this over here? And what about this? And what? No, no. Start with seeking the Lord. Because when the Lord comes, he'll clean up the mess. He'll reprove you of your sin. Just like Israel, he'll have people turning from their wicked ways. But I want to say this first of all. How do we seek him? Number one, prayerfully. I'm not going to say anything profound, but let me encourage you to do this. Would you, would you take out a pen and write some things down today? Just, just because I wrote them down. 
they were important enough to me when I saw them in the Bible to write them down. And I, I just think that if the Lord is speaking to our hearts, that we should maybe record this stuff. Listen, we seek him prayerfully. Turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. I, you know the verse, but I want to read it anyway because I want to show you something. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Talking about how do we seek the Lord? We want revival. We want God's Holy Spirit. How do we, how do we find it? Well, we have to seek Him. How do we do that? Second Chronicles chapter 7. First of all, we seek Him prayerfully. Look what it says here in verse 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. Now listen, I know there's a comma there after themselves, but don't you separate those two. This is not saying, well, one of the things we need is humility and another thing we need is prayer. No, he says, and humble themselves and pray. It's all together. It's talking about how we go to the throne of grace. I, I, honestly, I don't know how else we would go to the throne of grace. How, how do you stand before the king of kings? You heard that preacher this morning talking about him, S.M. Lockridge? Talking about the glory of God? How do you stand before him and not be humble? It's incredible. And so we humbly go before him to pray. And notice what it says, verse 14. And seek my face. And seek my face. And turn from their wicked ways. Notice that they don't turn from their wicked ways till after they seek his face. They meet with God and his reproving spirit breaks their heart and they turn from their sins. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Notice that phrase, if you will. Seek my face. I had said this morning, I made a mistake this morning. I said, that only, we only see that twice in the Bible. We actually see it three times because then I turned to a passage where it was. Seek my face. Seek my face. Psalm chapter 27 says, The Lord said unto me, Seek my face. And I said, my face, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. David is talking to the Lord. Here he says, Seek my face. Brother uh, Haiku, on the way out the door this morning, said to me, He says, You know, I never thought about that seek my face thing before. I was saying and I was teaching this morning that it means having an intimate relationship. It's not just about seeking God, it's about seeing him face to face. Now, spiritually, in the throne room of grace, we are going before the Lord. How, how many of you know, uh, the Norris, uh, Mackenzie goes off to school, and when are you leaving? You're not going anywhere, you're staying home, good. But when, when she went off to school, Kevin cried for weeks. Uh, that's the truth. And the thing is, listen, you can talk on the phone, Right? And you can FaceTime and you can do all... It's not the same as face-to-face, is it? It's just not. It just doesn't have the same feeling. There's just something missing. Now, Emily's on that phone every night with this guy. Every night! And then she says, well, I want to go down and I'm moving. And I'm like, wait a minute. You talk to him every day. It's not the same, Dad. It's not the same. So when we seek him, he says, no, I want more than that. I want you to seek my face. Brother Haiku said this to me this morning. He goes, you know, the thought occurred to me. 
When a child gets in trouble with his parents, do you know what he does? He can't look them in the eye. He can't look them face to face. And then Psalm 51 popped into my head. David was talking about creating me a clean heart and light against thee and thee only have I sinned. And he said this, my face have I hid from thee. I couldn't look in the eye, God. And I'm the one that said back in Psalm 27 that your face I would seek, but I can't right now. I can't look you in the eye. God says, you want to seek me? Come and look me in the eye. Face to face. Why? Because it'll change your life to be face to face with your Savior. So we seek him prayerfully. How many, how many of you, when you pray, do this? And you say, well, I'm not going to do that. You will now because I suggested it and you just can't help. Your mind just works that way, right? If I say, don't think of cows, what did you just picture? A cow, right? So now you're going to do it. The next time you go to prayer, visualize in your mind, I am kneeling before the throne. Picture it in your mind. There's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And bow before him. And seek his face. See if it makes a difference. So seek him prayerfully. Secondly, seek him persistently. Seek him. Let me show you a passage in Second Chronicles or First Chronicles. Turn back to First Chronicles chapter 16. You'll remember that the Ark of the Covenant had been stolen and had been taken by the Philistines, and David went to retrieve it, and chaos ensued. You'll remember that they were carrying it on a brand new ox cart, and as they carried it, one of the wheels went into the ditch, and it began to tip, and Uzzah, he was well-minded. I mean, he just wanted to be a hell, and he put his hands up to study that ark, and God killed him instantly. And David said, oh my, what are we going to do? We're trying to do a good thing, and, but they hadn't done it after the due order. So they turned aside, and they took that ark, and they put it in the home of Obed-Edom, And Obed-Edom, in the three months that the ark was in his home, he was blessed so incredibly that when David finally came to get the ark and returned to Israel, Obed-Edom says, I'm going where the ark is. I'm staying in the presence of God. And we see Obed-Edom, matter of fact, in 1 Chronicles 16, you'll see that they they hired some Levites to sing around the temple, and Obed-Edom's right there in the middle. He says, I want to be up close to the ark. I'll sing. Can we play an instrument? I'll learn. Whatever it takes, I want to be near Jesus. I want to be near the ark. So the Bible says in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, they begin to make their way back and they've, they've put the ark in its place. And the Bible says in verse 1, so they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tent that David had pitched for it and they offered burnt sacrifices and peace offerings before God. And David thought, what a momentous occasion. We need to sing about this. We need to celebrate this. So they begin to, to celebrate. And the Bible says in verse 7, then on that day, David delivered first... This psalm to thank the Lord into the hand of Asaph and his brethren. So David said, here's the first song we're going to sing. And he handed him a psalm that he had written. And it was a psalm of thanksgiving. Notice what it says in verse 8. Give thanks unto the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people. Sing unto him, sing psalms unto him, talk ye of all his wondrous works. Glory ye in his holy name, let the heart of them rejoice that what? Seek the Lord. Look at verse 11. Seek the Lord and his strength. 
Seek his face continually. Here's what David understood. Israel had just brought that ark back and they put it in the tabernacle, the tent that had been pitched. Laid it there in the Holy of Holies. And once all those Levites came out and all those priests cleared the area, David said, let's celebrate. The Lord is back in Israel. The presence of the Lord, the ark of the covenant is home. He says, here's what we got to do first. We got to sing a song of thanksgiving. So he delivered the song. But in that song was a reminder, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord continually. I wonder if some people were standing around scratching their heads singing, David, the, the ark's right there. That tent over yonder. It's back. The presence of the Lord is there. And what David is saying, no, no, wait a minute. Tomorrow your hearts are going to grow cold. You need to seek the Lord continually. Well, what do we do after the day after that? Seek the Lord. Well, what about next month, David? Seek the Lord. But it's not over in Philistia anymore. It's back here in Israel. We, we've got it in the tent there. It's in the tabernacle. I mean, David, what are you talking about? I understand for those, those months that it was over in Philistia, and I understand for those months that it was at Obed-Edom's house, and we were trying to figure out, and we were wringing our hands, what do we need to do to bring the ark back? And yes, we were praying, and we were seeing, but the Lord is here now. What do we do? Seek the Lord. See, God knows our hearts. We must seek the Lord prayerfully, but we must seek the Lord persistently. Hey, listen, this may sound rude, and I don't mean it to be at all. I don't care if you've been saved 100 years. You haven't made it yet. Take heed lest ye fall. Remember what John said back in John chapter 16? Or Jesus, it was the words of Jesus. John just wrote it down. I told you all these things so you wouldn't be offended. Those were disciples, apostles. What do you mean offended? Is Peter going to fall away from following? If he doesn't seek the Lord, he will. If he starts thinking he can do it in his own strength, he will. If he doesn't have a daily walk with God, he will. So we seek the Lord prayerfully. We seek him persistently. Here's the third one and final one. We need to seek him purposefully. Purposefully. Turn to First Chronicles chapter 22. Just forward a couple pages. We're almost done. First Chronicles chapter 22. Let me recap what's going on in First Chronicles 22. In First Chronicles 22, we have the Ark of the Covenant once again. And now... David has wanted to build a temple, but God said, no, you're a man of war. you got blood on your hands, and so your son will do that. So he begins to set aside materials. But at the same time, that understand this. When David first brought back the, the it says he pitched a tent. That was not the, a tent is a tabernacle. It's the same, same word in the Bible, but it was not the main tabernacle. He set it aside so he could seek God, what do we do? Well, now he's making sure that the tabernacle is prepared to move the ark from the one to the other. Now listen, the Bible says all the workmen were busy. They're all, they're all doing what they ought to do. People are, the stone cutters are cutting their different things and, the, and those that work with brass and those, I mean, they were getting the furniture ready. They were doing everything they needed to do, whatever God wanted. Now listen, 
But what were the princes doing, the leaders? They were sitting around doing nothing. They, they weren't participating. And David says in verse 18, is not the Lord your God with you? He commanded, verse 17, all the princes of Israel to help Solomon, his son. You guys need to get busy here. My son's going to build a temple and we're laying aside timbers and we're laying aside marble and granite and we're getting prepared. And when I'm gone, Solomon's going to build a temple and you guys are doing nothing. Is not our God with us? You as well? He says, he says, and hath he not given you rest on every side? For he hath given the inhabitants of the land into mine hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord and before his people. Now set your heart, listen, verse 12, 19, and set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. You know what he's saying? He's saying, you got to do this on purpose. You need to set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord. What's the most important thing, fellas? That's what he's saying. You see all these workmen out here? They're trying to please God. But you princes, you're just sitting around doing nothing all day. He says, I want you right now to set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord. Let me ask you this. Do you seek the Lord on purpose? Well, I'm here at church. No, no, I didn't, I didn't ask you if you came here to listen to a sermon. Have you desired in your heart, have you set apart a, a time, a place where you just say, I, I, I just need to seek God right now. This is just my time with him. I'm jealous over it. I'm going to seek, I, I'm going to do this on purpose. How many, of you, how many of you have a calendar? Anybody have a calendar? Some of you retired folks, I'm glad you got rid of your calendar, aren't you? We have a calendar. I have a calendar. Today it's phones, isn't it? We put our appointments in our phones. Do you know what you're doing? You're saying, I got to go to the doctor next week, so I'm going to put it in here so I go on purpose. I'm going to make it a purpose in my life that I go to my doctor. I'm going to make it a purpose. Some of us, our purpose is the golf course, or our purpose is whatever. But we schedule our lives. Are you seeking the Lord on purpose? Does the Lord know how important he is to you when he looks at your schedule? We're to seek him prayerfully. We're to seek him persistently. But we're to seek him purposefully. That's what the Bible says. He said, well, how long do I seek him? The nation of Israel, they were to just keep going persistently over, continually seek the Lord. You know what Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12 tells us that we are to break up our fallow ground. We are to seek the Lord until he rains down righteousness. Keep seeking the Lord till he's working, moving in your life. And then the day after that, seek him again and seek him again. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning and we'll stand to our feet. The altar is open. If God has spoke to your heart, you may pray right where you are. Let's do business with the Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm with you and a lot of other people when I say I want revival. I want God's Holy Spirit to, to break loose and just move upon us. But here's what I do know. It doesn't matter if we're not obedient to him. We look for comfort and peace and joy. And he sometimes comes with a sword. 
but I need that just as much. But it all starts, the very first step is this. Are we seeking him? Are we purposing in our lives that the Lord is the most important person? We meet him in prayer and we seek his face. And we're persistent about it. We just keep going back for more. Hey, the well will never run dry. That's good news. If God has spoke to your heart, the altar's open. You do business with God. If you want revival, seek him. And then you've got to surrender to whatever he wants. When he comes, he'll reprove the world.